0: From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 767, migrating to Azure SQL with guest Anna Hoffman, recorded Friday, February 19th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Today, my guest is Anna Hoffman, who is a data applied scientist and program manager at the Azure Data Team at Microsoft, focusing on Azure SQL and Anna is one of the authors of the Practical Azure SQL Database for Modern Developers, available at A-Press. Anna is the host of Data Exposed, available on YouTube. So, wow, an old school podcaster talking to a YouTuber. This should be interesting.
1: <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much, Richard. Oh, I'm just so excited. My
0: pleasure. <laughs> I have seen a few episodes of Data Exposed. You have some great conversations on that show.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm also a huge fan of Run Us Radio. So, I was Listening to some episodes this morning.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, we've been doing this for a while now. I've sort of got my stuff figured out.
1: But uh, <laughs> what,
0: 180 episodes of Data Exposed? Like, you're no slouch either.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of episodes. It's That's very
0: prolific. It's only been a couple of years, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, we started Data Exposed back up again in June of 2019. Oh, okay. So we've cranked out a lot yeah. in not that long. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable doing 52 episodes a year. Although during the pandemic, I did an extra, or the pandemic is still not going on. But last year, we did we I did an extra show a week on the on pandemic related topics. But yeah, 100 is lots of of things out there, podcasts and stuff that never get to 180 episodes. Congratulations! Like that's not an easy thing. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and I think you can probably relate. It's a great medium to learn. So I've learned so much. You know, being new to databases, this has been a great way to
0: learn. So, Yeah, you get to talk to some extraordinary people. And and really, you're doing research while sharing, you know, learn, learning and helping others learn at the same time. Uh, today's topic, because I think we could go a lot of different directions with your background. <laughs> You've done some cool stuff over the years. It's interesting, this wave of, of migration to Azure SQL. It's not like it's a new product. It's literally a decade old.
1: Right. Yeah. Azure SQL has been around, you know, since the beginning of Azure. I think we were chatting Mm -hmm. uh, when Ray Ozzie got up in 2008 and said, hey, this is uh, Windows Azure SQL services was front and center.
0: Right. Yeah. One of the original products when it was still Windows Azure, too. I thought it was very important moment in Microsoft history when it became Microsoft Azure rather than Windows Azure. Uh, Why do you? why do you see new migration? Like, isn't this already a given thing? Are people already there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's a a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons I like to think about it, and I've heard people talk about it before is if you think about just the versions before, like if we think about SQL server versions, uh, a lot of times people are slow to move on to the latest versions. They want to make sure it's been vetted, make sure it's it's ready for them. And I think the cloud is kind of like this, except, you know, just a whole other level yeah. because they're they're having to move a lot of things that have been in place for a long time. Uh, and there are challenges, there are security risks. And, you know, just in general, I think people like myself included, we don't really like change unless no. we have to do it. <laughs> well, especially
0: data people, like you're conservative for a reason, right? No? Like you're responsible when things break more than you're responsible when things work. So- and I would also think in the past year, this press to the cloud because nobody's at the office, it's more likely you would take a virtual machine of SQL Server and push it up to the cloud rather than to look at Azure SQL. Do you see that as well?
1: Yeah, I definitely see that uh, for sure. I, I think you know a lot of the reasons that people end up in virtual machine is they want to move as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and they, they just want to move from exactly what they were doing on prem to exactly like the same thing the same version the same OS yeah. where they manage it all uh so it's kind of like the easiest way and we have some really easy ways like where you can just kind of fail over uh and now you're running in azure and
0: now you're running in azure and I, and yeah you think about all those very specific settings your culture settings and the 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 default in azure in in SQL server because Azure SQL and SQL Server are not the same thing.
1: Yeah, no. I would say Azure SQL is is much bigger because SQL Server is in Azure SQL, but right. Azure SQL also has different options.
0: Interesting. So you, you see Azure SQL as the superset, like everything you could possibly do in SQL Server is in Azure SQL?
1: I think, we're, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm more, you know cloud bias. So I like to think that way, but because I mean, at the end of the day, when you take like we talked about virtual machines, when you Mm -hmm. take SQL Server and you run it in a virtual machine, it's literally just SQL Server, like it's nothing fancy, it's nothing extra. It's just SQL Server running in a virtual machine. And on the virtual machine side, we're doing some things to like try to make it easier for you. And we give you some options to like, for example, help you set up availability groups if that's what you want. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just SQL Server,
0: right? Yeah, and, I, and it definitely I mean, there's got to be things I can do in SQL Server, and I'm not saying they're good things. That might be pressing against the edges of what Azure SQL could do, like your ability to write to disk and, and manipulate at fairly low levels. Which I mean, the downside to SQL Server being around for decades is there's a lot of stuff in there that's that's yeah. that's been held over that you could carry when your VM may or may yeah, not be able to exactly. do in a straight cloud implement.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can carry it in your Azure VM, like you mentioned. But, you know, when we say when I say Azure SQL, I'm not just talking about, you know, our platform as a service. I'm also talking about SQL Server and Azure VM. I think that's been a change in the recent year that we actually consider SQL Server and Azure VM just as much of the Azure SQL family as everything else.
0: Interesting. Okay. So is there something special about SQL Server in a VM? Like does Azure treat it differently than any other virtual machine?
1: Um, There are some things that we do that I think personally are helpful when you think about moving to Azure VM. For example, it, when you go to deploy a SQL Server in Azure VM, there's all these storage configurations. Right. And yeah, and we're going to help you figure out based on, you know, how you run things normally, you know, what trace flag should we turn on by default? Nice. Where do you want your temp DB? How do you want your disk split, like all these things, we can help you to figure out, okay, this is how many IOPS that I want, what should I do? So really, what I think as SQL Server and Azure VM brings to the table, is just you have years and years of SQL Server best practices, mm-hmm. being not chosen for you, but you know, kind of, kind of uh, displayed in a way that's easier for you to consume and understand.
0: Well, I just appreciate that, you know, running SQL Server in an Azure VM is not considered bad, that you actually have optimal configurations, like right ways to do this. So can it be a destination or I've always looked at it as sort of temporary, like I'm going to land in a VM and someday I'll get
1: to Azure SQL. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, ideally that's, that's the goal because, managing less infrastructure and managing updates is something you know most people probably don't want to deal with but i also think you know certain scenarios are just going to be best for a vm and they'll stay in a vm you know for example if you have some third-party application and they're they need access to the os like you don't have any options you're not moving to a platform as a service you're staying in that vm and so we're gonna keep it's not like SQL Server and Azure VM is never going to go away. Like
0: right, yeah. If I've got a third-party product that my company's dependent on that expects SQL Server, unless it's got an Azure SQL option, which it may or may not have, I'm going to keep that VM.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe we'll see more of that in the future. But you know, like you said, SQL Server's been around twice as long, not more than that, more, than Azure yeah. SQL. So um,
0: yeah, very fair. Yeah. Well, and especially also when you get into this, like. What I like about Azure SQL is I don't own the OS, and heck, I don't own the version number. There's no updates. Like, none of that stuff happens. It's just you've got the new features when the new features appear. I get an email weekly (laughs) telling me about the new features I've got in Azure SQL now.
1: And it's nice, but, you know, some people are are hesitant about this, right? Like, we want to know, like, you know, when you update me, am I broken? Like, where does that responsibility fall?
0: Yeah, and I would hope you never break me, but, you know, nothing's ever perfect either.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the the thing is the responsibility shifts from the consumer or the user to Microsoft, right? Right. So if we roll an update, it's up to us to make sure we don't break any of the seven plus million databases running in Azure SQL. So, you know, we're doing our best because that's it's not super scalable if we break someone. We're probably going to break a ton of people. And and we're working to kind of give Give, you know, traditional DBAs and data professionals that peace of mind too. for example, something we just announced in public preview is maintenance windows. So, you know, we're gonna start letting you know, uh, you know, hey, we're running maintenance on Saturdays at this time. And, and maybe sometime in the future, you'll even have the opportunity to customize those maintenance windows.
0: Wow. Okay. So, I mean, this reminds me of me, right? When I was the DBA <laughs> and I had to tell ops, it's like, we need to do some maintenance on this database. Like, let's decide on a time window. It's like, oh, great. We'll synchronize all this maintenance. If we're, if we're taking that app down while this database is being worked on, we'll work on other aspects of it, some infrastructure changes and things like that. So are we now sort of getting an eye into maintenance is being done on Azure? So that we can plan around that.
1: Yeah, I think that's the idea uh, to just let people know like, hey, this is if we're going to roll out updates, this is when we'll typically do it. And right. And that just allows you, like you said, to plan. Um, hopefully it doesn't introduce any issues, because, again, our goal ultimately is to not create any issues. But it gives you that peace of mind that, like, we're not going to run a maintenance right in the middle of your highest workload, sure. you know, at the end of the month on a Tuesday.
0: And so you, you could see a time in the future where I could ask like, hey, can we have that new feature next week while we get through this campaign?
1: Maybe. Yeah, I, I think I, I and I'm not sure how it's going to play out in the sure. future, but I think it's one step in that direction.
0: Right. Yeah, that's an interesting announcement. And, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Like it is a preview thing. Right now. Right. So exactly. Now is the time for us all to learn about that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, folks have already, some folks have already gone to VMs, but if I'm still considering this, is there guidance? Like, what's the right way to go about a data migration when you're thinking about moving up to the cloud?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, a question a lot of people have at varying complexities. And I think, you know, we could spend days, you and I, just chatting about oh, for sure. <laughs> your databases. But uh, there are some things that we're working on. One tool that I found uh really interesting and I'll share it with you for the show notes mm. is uh the data migration guide so it's just datamigration.microsoft.com and the reason I find this so interesting is you can select your source so where are you coming from right. whether it's SQL server whether it's AWS whether it's uh you know some something else oracle wherever you're coming from and where do you want to go do you want to go to SQL server on a VM do you want to go to Azure SQL managed instance do you want to go to Azure SQL database and then we'll give you a custom guide. And kind of the 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 best part I think of the custom guides is they all have these three phases, you know, which just makes sense. It's pre-migration. So what do you do before you migrate? Migration. How are you actually moving all your stuff? And post-migration. And and so I like the way they've kind of broken it down in very bite-sized, reasonable chunks.
0: That's nice. And I pulled up the page, and there's access on the list too. So I'm delighted. But <laughs> uh, but also see you're not just migrating to one place either, right? Like you have choice of migrating access to Azure SQL or SQL Server. You if you're going to migrate Postgres SQL, you can move it to Azure Database for Postgres SQL, which is still Postgres. But it, but cool to me that if I'm looking at do I want to continue operating this server that's running Postgres, or do it, what is it going to take to move to the cloud? That now I have specific guidance. So for okay, you're already on Postgres. What's different running Postgres in Azure? That that's awesome. Like you really focused in on those specific scenarios.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's really useful. And also, you know, we're just trying to get people off Access. That's a biased <laughs> thing for me to say, but I think it's time.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure Access bought me a house at one point or another in my life. So I'm not going to say anything bad to it. But it's we've definitely done things with databases. I'm not just going to pick on Access with that. That they weren't really intended for. Right, uh, yeah. But, yeah, the idea, I guess, this this difference between the lift and shift and the real migration part of can I move to different things. Because when I look at the suite of tools or the suite of resources in Azure SQL, it's not just that I have a database there. You have a bunch of other offerings, like scaling, uh, doing geo-scaling with it and and really taking it up a level to more performance than I could ever get out of my local uh, SQL server.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, a, a good example, I always... Tell people when we talk about, you know, what else do you get just besides your normal database? And I think you hit it on the head is like this idea of scale and optimization and being more global very easily. For example, I often ask people if you are going to set up an always on availability group between the U.S. and Europe. How long would that take you and what would you have to do?
0: Yeah. I've, d- I've also done the split read write data structures where our, our writes go to one place, but our reads are in totally different instances, geo distributed with rotating DNS. Like it is not a small job. Yeah. Uh, and not inexpensive either. Like that's a lot of money, effort, time and ongoing maintenance to make work
1: for sure. But you know, the, what I always tell people is with Azure SQL database. In seven PowerShell commands, hmm. I can set that up and get it running. And it actually gives me a read write listener and a read only listener. So even if a failover occurs, I'm good. I just keep connecting to wow. my read only or my read write seven commands.
0: So now I'm betting a couple of them are some fairly substantial pieces of piping commands too. Like I can write some PowerShell that scares folks. <laughs>
1: they're, they're actually not. Oh, it's really, really not. It's really, it's really not as scary as you might think it would be. You basically just like deploy another Azure SQL server in that region, then you set up the failover group, then you make sure you can connect, because networking is a big piece here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it takes a while to kind of basically because you have to replicate that data across the wire. But yeah, once you get it's set up. done, yeah. They're pretty simple and I can share some resources on how to do it.
0: Oh, I love, yeah, I'd love to look at some of that stuff too. But, you know, and I've also had the experience building um, failover groups and things like that over the years. It's like the software has to be somewhat knowledgeable to tolerate the fact that sometimes databases go down and are are going to come back and you need to be able to recover from that. Is there a much coding changes I have to push back to dev around that? I guess it depends on the app.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the app. But I think the the biggest change and the biggest piece of advice like I have when it comes to, okay, what does this mean for my application? The biggest thing to me is like you have to have good retry logic into your application because there's going to be blips. Like something's going to happen and you're going to lose connection connectivity for a millisecond or a couple seconds if we have to fail you over to a healthy node for whatever reason. That
0: was true with any hot failover cluster too, right? Yeah. Like that's always been true.
1: Yeah, exactly. And th- you know, we're gonna keep you up and running like Azure SQL database and Azure SQL management since you actually have an SLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't have the right retry logic, then this blip could take you down, right? So.
0: Absolutely. And Anna, I'm gonna interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open-source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects, called Two Weeks Ready, helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S.-registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Anna Hoffman. We're talking a little bit about migrating to Azure for data, I guess. It's almost unfair to just say Azure SQL. There's so many products in this space. Definitely. Can we talk a little bit about backup strategies? Because I think it's one of the things that folks struggle with. It's hard enough to do backups to SQL Server local or in your provision data center, But the backup systems for Azure, like we're often presented this idea, it's it's just happening. There's multiple copies, you never have to worry.
1: Yeah, and that's something I think, you know, is hard for people who like, you know, their livelihood basically depends on this strategy Mm -hmm. being performant and correct and secure and all of those things. Um, so it's something that's kind of uneasy when we're like, oh, in Azure SQL platform as a service, we just, we just do it for you. So like, you don't have to worry about it. And, and while that's true, there are some things you do need to consider. Like, how long do you want to take these backups? How long do you want to keep them? Yes. And where do you want to have them?
0: Yeah. I always worry about corruption problems. I love that we have multiple copies of the database, but if the same corruption is propagated across all of them, I'm still in trouble. And so it's like is there a place I can go with you know where's a backup from last month before
1: this corruption happened? Yeah, definitely. So I mean, I think like a few things that usually tend to put people at ease or just you know what what is happening underneath the hood. Mm. So we're doing a full database backup once a week with log backups every 5 to 10 minutes and diff backups every 12 to 24 hours. Wow. So Just right off the bat, you're getting a lot. That's the defaults. That's kind of the default. Mm -hmm. And then your backups are going to be retained somewhere between 1 and 35 days. So that's one of the decision points for you is, you know, how long do we need these backups? And if 35 days isn't long enough, Mm -hmm. uh, then we also have this thing called long-term retention. Uh, And this was something that came from a lot of customers. They needed to be able to get backups from up to 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this was something previously only available in Azure SQL database. But again, another very recent announcement, um, you know, at Ignite a few weeks ago was that mm-hmm. we were able to announce this capability in public preview for managed instance as well. So now you can get long-term retention.
0: Am I And am I actually snapshotting the VM for those long-term retentions or am I taking a backup locally on my VM and pushing that to long-term retention?
1: Well, this this is kind of the beauty is like, for the platform as a service offering, so for Managed Instance or, or DB, we're just taking the backups for you. So nice. you don't have to worry about those pieces. And then once you have those backups, you can kind of do a point in time restore to to any of the times in that time frame.
0: I can say that's one thing I've enjoyed about the cloud is that restoring doesn't require specific hardware. You can just make another instance, do a restore, and inspect it. Like, that's something I've always loved about the cloud. It's like, you, you know, normally planning a restore for a SQL server because you probably only had one set of hardware or all the hardware was at least dedicated to something. You're going to take something offline to do a restore. That's just not an issue in the cloud. Do the restore. Try it out. See how it looks. Run your tests against it.
1: I think uh, one of the other interesting things that, that you know, a lot of people don't know is what the Azure SQL engineering team is doing on the back end to make sure that your your backups are Are okay. So we're running backup integrity checks regularly. So basically what that means is we're automatically testing the restore of backups placed in logical servers or elastic pools. We're going to do that on an ongoing basis to make sure everything's okay.
0: So you guys have confidence that your own, the backups you've been taking can be restored are valid. At least, you yeah, know, I always encourage folks. It's like, when's the last time you restored something? Like, do you know your backups work? Whatever it may be. And if, if nothing else, just the procedures to know here's where the restore is. Here's how I restore it. These are the privileges I need. You know, it's all these little subtleties um, for folks that are still happily living on prem SQL server. Uh, <laughs> how different is Azure SQL to manage? Like, what, what are they up against? How, what new skills do
1: they need? Yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and I would say, you know, it's really all, mo- many, if not most of the skills that, you know, your traditional SQL Server DBAs or data professionals do on-prem are mm-hmm. still going to apply today. I think, for example, you know, I, I've had many conversations with Joe Sack, who's, you know, a performance guru on the Azure SQL team and, And he, we always talk about how much money customers could save if they knew how to tune their queries and to tune and understand their workloads and, and optimize their performance where, um, so like skills like that, that were super valuable on prem are just as valuable, if not more valuable in the cloud, because if you could not use so much compute, then you could drastically reduce your your bill, which is always great.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the, and it's been a recurring subject too, because your kind of default implementations of Azure SQL make it look, act like a real normal SQL database in many respects the way you would expect, but that comes at a price too. Uh, I've had conversations with folks who've said, you know, you can switch this over to this only power up when needed mode, which adds some latency to the initial request, but it can cut your bill big time.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and, and just to comment briefly on, on cost, we've done several studies with mm-hmm. third parties and I can share some of those as well. But, you know, what we found, if you take into account everything that goes into running your SQL server on prem. So right. that includes the heating, the cooling, uh, the power, the, the guy who's on call, like all that stuff, then it actually does work out to be. You know, significantly cheaper to run it in Azure, whether that's in a VM or in a platform as a service right. offering. Um, but the, the, the thing you mentioned earlier about just paying when you need it, um, that serverless capability has had huge adoption from customers for really that very cool. recent. It's really cool. And it's, it's really our only service today that can actually auto scale you on a per second basis. For what your workload actually needs at that given moment, and then can kind of scale you back down by using this very new, interesting cache reclamation system that doesn't exist in SQL Server today. So um,
0: yeah, for me, thinking in terms of intermittent loads, like doing a year end or something where there's a whole bunch of things we're going to light up and run for the next couple of weeks, and then to have it all spin back down again, that's really compelling that you you know, that would pretty much happen by default, it wouldn't be hard to, to put together.
1: Yeah, definitely. And even like, just like your line of business applications that only run eight to five. Why mm-hmm. do you need to pay for them from five to eight the next morning?
0: Yeah. 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 And, it, or if it's only used one every few hours. Yeah. You know, the fact that it, cause it's not like it's off and it's going to refuse messages. It's just going to have, be a little laggy while it lights up to do what you want and then go again. So I, yeah, I've, those have been really interesting conversations. Uh, just to, to understand that we can have all these options. What about moving to some of these other data stores? Like we were talking briefly about the geo, you know, geo-distributed SQL Server. But I understand like Cosmos DB is the way to go with that sort of thing. Do you, do you see migration paths to stuff like Cosmos that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, and you know, of course, I, I probably have some bias here. I have to admit, but <laughs> um, I. I I don't see any real scenarios where, if you were coming from SQL Server, where moving to Cosmos DB might be more beneficial than moving to just Azure SQL Database, because a lot of those capabilities are going to be in in both. Like you mentioned, right. geo replication, that is going to be available either way in in both both uh, offerings. And I think one of the benefits to sticking with SQL is is like we've kind of mentioned. It's like all the skills you have, mm-hmm. like they still apply, and it's you're still just writing T SQL. A lot of these concepts are still, you know, very familiar to you. And we have support for some of these multi model capabilities, whether it's JSON, geospatial, key value, even XML. You know, we're gonna have those supports. And I think at at the end of the day, a lot of these workloads are operational or transactional um, in many ways maybe more than others. But again, that's my slant.
0: Well it's also the re engineering involved. Like Cosmos DB is a different product too. Like you've got all that investment in store procedures and code and stuff that works. The fact that you can keep scaling it up, take it to a much further place than you would ever consider going. You know, is it really worth reengineering for that?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's really nice that that we're going to help you scale whether it's to something like serverless or if you hit Database size limits, and you want to go up to 100 terabytes or even higher. It's it's pretty cool that we. I don't know if we've talked about hyperscale on the on other shows, but not uh, recently.
0: But um, (laughs) when you say hyperscale, what do you mean? Like 100 terabytes is big. It's not catastrophically big, but it's
1: big. Yeah. So we say 100 terabytes. And that's an interesting, that's an interesting comment that we make. <laughs> uh, we really just say that to have a number out there. Right. We've never had anyone, at least that I know of, or last time I checked, that's actually gone above that 100 terabytes. Right. So it, in theory, it's just, you know, a random limit. Uh, but the way we, what we did is we broke the barriers that kind of confined us to those storage limits before. So we can now um, essentially scale up to however big you need, because uh, we basically took all of the pieces of SQL Server apart and said, how do we build this in a distributed limitless scale type of way? And that's how we ended up with hyperscale. So
0: we can go bigger if you need to. But uh, so far, I haven't needed to. It's, yeah, well, you know, we hear numbers like, pe- you know, petabytes and exabytes out there, but I, I think those are all pretty specific implementations too. And it doesn't mean you couldn't have multiple stores as well.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and potentially when you get into that big, you might be wondering, you know, well, what are you doing with the data? Yeah. And if it's you're doing more analytics than tra- transactional or, or operational, then you might be better off you know, in something like Azure Synapse mm-hmm. or some combination of the two or using a data lake.
0: Yeah, typically you're doing it when you have that much data, lots of it's at rest. It's not trend, It's not continuously transactional data. Right. Yeah, huge stuff. Can we talk a little bit about the book, uh, Practical Azure SQL Databases for Modern Developers? How did you end up in that?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I just feel, I feel really lucky to have taken part in this book. The other authors uh Davide Maori, Silvano Coriani, Jovan Popovic, uh Sanjay Mishra, all huge sequel legends for, you know, years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Uh many of them coming from the the cat team at Microsoft. But uh somehow, for some reason they asked me to come help them with the book. (laughs) It was it was really fun and it was a really great, you know, talk about learning experiences, you know, sitting down with these people and trying to figure out well, how should we tell this story? And how do we help not just the SQL Server people who have been doing SQL Server forever, but Mm -hmm. also the new developers that are potentially overwhelmed by all the things in SQL Server, like I know I kind of was when I first came over, or uh, or just new to developing with databases. How can we show them the benefits of SQL Server and how to use T-SQL and all that stuff? And so that's where we kind of came up with this book idea. and The book also explores how SQL Server, like I kind of mentioned earlier, can be used for other things besides just, you know, your typical transactional workloads.
0: Yeah, well, the fact is now we have a lot of more sophisticated types, like the ability to store and manipulate geospatial data and even reasonable, respectable ways to handle blob data these days. You don't have to go up to the key value stores or the other resources in Azure if you don't want to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think investing in JSON on our part has been a big part of making this still, what I would say, still a very relevant database to modern developers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't want to decompose objects, just store them. Store them as JSON. You're good. (laughs) You can query them. That's It's easy to store stuff. Get it back out. That's the tough part.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And data exposed? Uh, how do you explain Data Exposed to you? Because I've seen enough shows now, like, you're all over the place, all kinds of different data topics there.
1: <laughs> yeah, Data Exposed is a, it's an interesting one. Um, I had a conversation uh, with my boss a few years ago, Asad Khan. He's the partner director of SQL. So mm-hmm. that means he's over SQL Server and Azure SQL. And he said hey, you know, we don't really have any video presence. Like, why don't you go figure that out? And right. So, you know, I strolled into Channel 9, which is Microsoft Studios, and said, hey, we want to do a data show. Like, what can we do? And we started talking, you know, mostly just about Azure SQL, trying to kind of democratize and kind of... uh help demystify what it is and what all the options are and how it's different from SQL Server and how it's really not that different from SQL Server. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of caught on. And before you knew it, we were talking about things like Azure Data Factory, Azure Synapse, Azure Arc, SQL Server. So now we kind of run the, the gamut of different Azure data products. And it, it's been a lot of fun because we do, you know, short pre-recorded episodes on Thursdays. But then mm-hmm. this year, we started streaming live, which is a whole new beast. Totally different, I'm sure you've, sure you've done lots of live stuff yeah. in your time. But uh, live is a whole new thing. And it's just been really fun. And I feel like it's been a great way, especially given the, the pandemic world that we live in, to still have connection with our community and our customers and still kind of like get new stuff up there and, and, and let people know we're still kind of here, here to help.
0: Yeah. And get, expose them to those new ideas, you know, so there is, yeah. you know, you listed off a, a grab bag of products there. And I think folks struggle with how do all these pieces fit together. I know it's a constant narrative on run as as well. So I'm glad you're, you're helping to organize those ideas.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I struggle as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll have episodes, most of the episodes, we shoot a lot of them. I don't know what yeah. they were talking about. And What's this so product it, now? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, well, I'm really excited to learn together. Yeah. <laughs> a doubt. Um, so I think, I think that helps too, being someone who hasn't been around for, uh, 20 years, because I can kind of bring a perspective that I think is very relatable that, you know, I don't have, I don't necessarily know everything about. Everything. We just know our pockets and yeah. how can we expand our knowledge and, and how does it relate to what we already know? Well, so. and the, I, been and I r-
0: realize when you have working with an old product and there's folks that have worked with it the whole time, like they automatically sort that's an old feature we don't use anymore versus this is the new feature we do use. Uh, it's a lot of implicit knowledge that, that you don't have sure. coming in new. Uh, yeah,
1: a, lo- a lot of assumptions that I can say, wait, 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 can you just back up yeah. like 10 steps and and tell us from the beginning why we do this?
0: Yeah, why you pick the, that one of those four options. Oh, we don't use <laughs> those other options anymore. You know, yeah, yeah it's a, all that kind of implied knowledge is is challenging. And also, you know, when do we adopt the new features? You know, it's certainly been a recurring theme for me talking to folks saying, is all this experience you got actually holding you back from trying a new thing? Like you have scar tissue built up from various incidences over the year that make you leery of one tech or another, then that tech's evolved on you. now you you don't know that it will do will, will help you, yeah. but you're hesitant to do so.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: yeah, it's it's helpful to have new eyes on things going, well, why wouldn't we do that? and actually press against yeah. the, those fears and and try new things. Well, Anna, a ton of fun to talk to you, and uh, we do have to get in the data science conversation one of these days, but not for this show. I re- the, the The challenge of folks migrating uh, onto Azure is still there, but clearly improving between the announcements at Ignite and some of these great guides, like the migration guide. I really feel like it's getting easier and easier to, to embrace uh, what uh, what the cloud can do for us.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, I, I'm not sure I had mentioned some of the the latest announcements mm-hmm. for um, Azure Migrations, but we just announced at Ignite uh, the capability to do your discovery and assessment from right in the portal using the Azure Migrate service. So what this means is you basically use an appliance, uh, and then it sends everything up to Azure Migrate, and it's able to make these really beautiful, uh, comprehensive recommendations as to okay, this one should go to MI and this is why this one should go to SQL VM. And this is why mm-hmm. we think you should use this service tier and this hardware. And it's. It, I think it's really helping take a lot of the, the complications and the confusing aspects and breaking it down and, and giving you an overall view of like, he, here's what you have to migrate. Here's what we recommend. Nice. And then once you're there, you can use the database migration service and easily migrate online or
0: offline. Well, and I I think we're often in exactly that situation as IT folks where the the CFO is saying, okay, well, we've talked about cloud migration for a while. Tell me what you'd have to do. And now you have to go off and do that research. The fact that you're organizing that information for me better so that I can now come back to the CFO and look like I've done a ton of work to organize all those docs, but (laughs) it's because you helped pull it together for me. Like, thanks for that. You make me look smart. We might actually get this thing done.
1: Yeah, hey, I mean, we we want you know, we want to help you help us or help us help you one of those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Helping you fall into the pit of success. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anna Hoffman. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And we'll talk to you next week on run as radio.